0: Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And those that listen to the podcast know that I am a sucker for a birth story. So when Julia Matika told me that she had her baby, and I got little tiny bits of it just from being online with each other, I knew I wanted to learn more about it. I know who who she is. She's an amazing person. Let me tell you a little bit about her. So she has an over 20-year career as an internationally recognized writer, performer, producer, and teacher. She's been part of the Prenatal Yoga Center community for... I think maybe five or six years. She went through our teacher training program. So I've had the honor of getting to know her. And I appreciate her humor. I appreciate her as a person. So I invited her on to share her birth story. And it's remarkable. And we don't just talk about the unwinding of her birth, but we really start to dive into what she called the everyday magic of birth. And then we start talking about pain for a purpose, and she bravely talked about the pain in birth, where sometimes I'm hesitant to say it. And so we go into quite a bit of conversation, of course, along with the the storytelling of her just beautiful beautiful birth. So I think you're going to get a lot out of that. You might find some inspiration, you might some find some camaraderie and some connectiveness with this conversation, but I think you're very much going to enjoy it. And so, I hope you enjoy that conversation with Julia. But before we get to that, I just want to remind you that I know you can't always make it to class and sometimes you're going to still feel some aches and pains. So just a reminder that if you go to our website, you can download the free down- downloadable, five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains. And then you get that. So maybe one day your back's hurting or your hamstrings or your shoulders, and you're not ready to do a whole class, but you just want to do a pose or two. You can use it as your cheat sheet. Let's also give you a little bit of an update of what's going on at the studio. So we're back in the studio, which was incredibly exciting. Had our first hybrid class, which was amazing. I had people On my screen, I had people in the studio. Pretty amazing. We're we're still still, uh, tweaking some things and fine-tuning it, but we're back. And honestly, it kind of feels like that fourth trimester where you've gotten through the pregnancy, the birth, and then it's a little muddy on the other side. Yeah, we're getting there. We're finding our way. And it's wonderful that along this path, the community is supporting us and walking with us during that. So I want to say thank you for that. All right, last thing I'm going to ask you is if you haven't left a rating and review, if you have a moment, please go to wherever you listen to this from and leave a rating and review. It helps people find us. And that way, more people can feel supported during their pregnancy, during their birth, during their postpartum, and honestly get some great parenting tips. I know all the parenting podcasts that I've done, I have learned a lot. And even though I've been doing this for 10 years, as a parent, I'm still constantly learning about parenting. It feels like it's never going to be a process that is mastered, at least for me. And I love hearing from experts that can give me some tips and advice that we can then pass on to you. Oh, and then the last thing, those that are interested in our teacher training, check it out. There's some big changes. I'm super excited. I'm taking a deep dive into the manual. I always love to refresh and add things. So our teacher training, continuing through 2021 online, in person person in 2022. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Julia.
1: Hi, Julia.
0: How are you?
1: I'm doing great, Deb. It's so nice to be here.
0: I'm so excited to hear your birth story. I feel like I got little snippets of it. And gosh, I remember when you told me that you
1: were pregnant. (laughs) It was a surprise to everyone. Um, <laughs> this was really, of this baby luged in on one working fallopian tube at the last possible moment. So <laughs> we were all pretty shocked and, yeah. and couldn't be more excited. <laughs> and it's been a
0: beautiful thing to watch you through two pregnancies. And I was actually just doing some editing of some old videos and I'm like, well, there's Julia. So yeah. kind of watching you go full circle a couple times and then just hearing snippets of about this birth. I just wanted to dig in. So, I'm I'm very appreciative and honored that you're going to share your whole story. So, I guess before we get to that, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. So, I um um uh, a theater artist by by profession for a long long time I worked as a an actress in New York City and all over the place and then after my first child was born um started to feel that a transition was in the works um because I wanted to spend more time with her I wanted to sort of shift the way I was juggling my my life and so I started to develop a writing practice and became an essayist and then um have also become a yoga teacher after many many years of of standing on the mat uh in class and in self practice i've kind of taken the teacher seat over the last year and a half and um really been loving that and finding that deeply satisfying so that's me that's that's me sort of in my work life and at home i have two kids uh one who is just turned 5 and one who will be 3 months on monday and uh my uh husband and, and our kids and i live in morningside heights in new york city um and spend our summers in sag harbor where he runs a theater company so that's
0: and I also Ooh. convinced you. Was it last summer when you told me you were pregnant? I'm like, oh, now it's the teacher training, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I I emailed. I think I had emailed you to be like, I'm pregnant. Are you? Where's? What's happening with class in the pandemic? And also, hmm, teacher training question <laughs> mark. <laughs> Um, I remember having this beautiful conversation about the twists and turns of life and becoming a, a prenatal yoga teacher and, and you know, as it, as it happened with my, with my, um, initial teaching practice, I didn't set out to be a teacher. I set out just to deepen my practice and the same was true in prenatal training and just kind of discovered that teaching pregnant bodies was such a meaningful and, and remarkable way to spend my time and way to to be with people and um, get to bear witness to them in that process was really cool.
0: And I'm very appreciative that you did because I've got some big plans for you, but that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> <laughs> like when you told me you were moving, I'm like, how, how far, how far are we going here? <laughs>
1: 20 blocks. It was 20 blocks.
0: <laughs> All right. So let's jump into your births and your pregnancies. So I'd love to hear How, having had one baby, how, when you found out you're pregnant with, with this newest babe, how was your preparation different than your first time?
1: You know, it's such a funny thing. I feel like, you know, my first pregnancy, I, she was much, much sought after and we had been trying for a long time. I have very severe endometriosis. It was, it was a process with a capital P. To become pregnant and and so I spent so much of my pregnancy like sitting on the couch with candles lit and rubbing my belly and saying, "You are welcome here." I had all these mantras that I had for her, and I, we didn 't know it was who she would be we didn 't know the, the sex, but the, for the baby and it was my whole life sort of geared toward this pregnancy. Um, the second pregnancy was a total shock. I actually thought it was early menopause or headstand practice in yoga. I did not see it coming. <laughs> um, I had, I had actually been told it was not really possible for me to have another child biologically, even if I had pursued um, fertility interventions, which we, for various reasons, decided not to. Um, uh, and, and so when I when I found out I was pregnant, I was kind of disbelieving. And was, was sort of in a space where I really liked my life and, and liked what I was doing and, and was kind of like, well, little baby growing in there, you just get to come along for the ride. There are no, I can't light any candles and do any meditations here. Like I don't have the time. Um, you up for a five mile bike ride? Let's go. You know, so I, I, um, I think the second pregnancy in some ways, was just, it had to be integrated into the life I was already living in a very, very different way than the first. Um, and each experience was kind of beautiful. Um, and then of course, in my second pregnancy, I had some complications, which required a different kind of focus. So where with the first pregnancy, once I became pregnant, it was a, a, a very peaceful process after some weeks of of serious nausea. With the second pregnancy, um, I had some bleeding, um, from what's called a subchorionic hematoma. I had just a, a, a sort of a pouch of blood in my uterus, which didn't threaten the pregnancy ultimately, thankfully, but which did require some, some real rest, some pelvic rest. And, um, and then had something called placental lakes and so was was in and I'm also over 40 so there was a lot of increased monitoring which I didn't experience in the first one so it was this interesting combination of of focus that I wasn't required to have in in sort of a medical sense in the second pregnancy and focus that I couldn't have <laughs> um in the sort of metaphysical sense that I was able to have in the first pregnancy
0: How, knowing you were a little bit older and there were some complications, how did you balance your stress level about that?
1: You know, I, it's an, it's an interesting thing, right? Because bringing a life into the world, right? Shepherding a life, however, however you do it, right? Whether through pregnancy or, or other, other means, however you are becoming a parent, it can be, and is at times an extremely anxiety filled thing, right? As it was for me. So for me, I found that it may sound a little bit cliche, but I actually really leaned very hard on my yoga and meditation practices, um, and did a lot of kind of breathing and just kind of reminded myself regularly that, the cake was baked, as it were. Whoever was, whoever was cooking in my body was already, it was already, the story of the pregnancy was kind of already written. Mm. And all I could do was show up for it and mm. take care of myself, right? Now, not, not to be reckless, right? But if I take care of my body, if I listen to the advice I'm given that I trust, if I eat well, if I exercise with moderation, if I, if I kind of take care, then the, the path of the baby is going to be the path of the baby. There's not a lot else I can do. And there was something actually really liberating in that mm-hmm. because those were things that, that the things I mentioned are things that I could do, you know, and I could, I could say, well, I have done everything that I can do in this situation to take care of this new life and to take care of myself as I shepherd the new life in, right? Cause it's a 50-50 split. Right. The baby needs a lot and so does the pregnant body. And, and if at the end of the day, the journey of this child is a very short one, that's not for me to decide, you know? Um, and it took a, it was a, it was a real practice for me to sit with the unknown of it. And luckily for me, thankfully for me, beautifully for me, this child you know, has come into the world and is a very jolly, you know, extremely, um, blue-eyed laughing little guy. So I, um, I get, I get to have, I get to have this, this beautiful life in my life now, but there was a period of time of, of real meditation in the present moment and letting go of what the future would hold.
0: And I love that approach because you can see that same reflection, especially as a teacher, as a prenatal teacher and as a pregnant person hopefully listening, that we can take that same approach for the actual labor and birth that yeah. we we create as best we can the space mentally, physically with the people mm-hmm. around us and then part of it is just an uh, just kind of as you said shepherding it in that we only have so much control of how it have it unwinds and we can just help ourselves get to that opening of the gate. And then it kind of floods (laughs) on its own.
1: Yeah, totally. Totally. So I'm very
0: curious. I know, I know a little bit about your first birth and I know that you made a decision to do a home birth this time. Can you talk me through some of your decision making and, and that leap of faith to really take it in a different direction?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that there are a lot of myths about home birth that that are, are fascinating to me, right? Like I remember talking to my father-in-law at one point after the baby was born and and he looked at me with kind of awe and said, "You really pulled it off." And I was like, "What? <laughs> what does that mean?" And he said, "Nobody thought you would do it." And I and it's such an interesting thing, right? It's such a shame because it's not like someone shows up to your house with some dish towels and crossed fingers, right? It's, it's, it is, it is a, an incredibly well thought out, um, birthing practice. My midwife came with birthing assistance on and on. there, there are all kinds of, um, provisions put in place to help bring this life in. Um, so the decision itself, was actually a relatively simple one for me. I have several friends who had experienced home birth and had very positive experiences, and actually one friend who did have to try two friends who had who did have to transfer um, in their home birth process and were able to transfer successfully so I had a couple of different kinds of home birth stories that I could kind of listen to and use to weigh out my decision and um, and I you know I think initially, um, when I realized that the birthing center at Sinai West, where I had my, my daughter, uh, my first child, um, was no longer in operation. I was feeling like, gosh, I really wanted, um, I didn't, I didn't really want a hospital uh, setting for, for the birth of the baby. And so when the, when the birth center turned out to be closed, I started to think about what else might be possible. And, um, because of that and also frankly the pandemic um at the time that I became pregnant we really didn't know what the fall of 2020 and the winter of 2021 were going to look like um and Simon was born in April and I didn't I didn't love the idea of delivering this baby alone or in a mask or with uh only one support person you know I it it felt that felt, um, scarier to me, frankly, than a home birth and a home delivery. So, um, I went and I spoke to my, um, OBGYN, uh, who, who will just, who will just call, you know, Dr. Incredible, um, (laughs) for this, uh, for the, for the purposes of this podcast. And, and she and I were chatting and, and it turned out that she was also no longer, uh delivering babies in the hospital setting. Um
0: Can I can I ask I'm gonna totally interrupt, but can you explain why? Because I know I know Doctor Incredible. And (laughs) (laughs) I've worked with Doctor Incredible. Um she is incredible. Um can you and and the sad thing is about this particular doctor is she's really a gift to the birthing world. Um can you explain why she what she explained to you as her choice to no longer be practicing yeah. obstetrics.
1: I mean, I I, I think that's relevant. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't want to place words in her mouth, but w- what the summary of what was said to me was that, um, there were two primary factors. Um, one was just that the insurance had become astronomically high. Um, and that, that, that is, uh, difficult at a certain point. Um, but that the main factor was that the birthing culture at the hospital had changed to such a degree that doctors were um, expected to kind of deliver babies on a conveyor belt. And that for Dr. Incredible, right, so much of her practice is built on the deep relationship that she forges with her patients. Um, I've been, I've been a patient of hers long before um, I became pregnant and will continue to see her for many years until she sniffle retires. Um, She has people in the practice as many OBGYNs do who have been there for decades and um, has delivered, you know, the children of her patient's children and on and on. And that that piece of what she loves was being systematically taken away. And so with the one, two punch of the insurance and the shift in, in sort of medical practice and what, of and expectation, she felt it just wasn't something she could sustain. Mm-hmm. Um, um, though I would be really interested to hear her explain it, um, uh, in her own words, um, at, at greater length, you know, so, but she did say, you know, for, for those who are you know, very dear to me in practice, which I luckily am. If you choose to have a home birth, uh, I will come be your guest of honor. And very special, which was extremely special. And so I had every reason in the world to move toward home birth at that point. Um, and, uh, and so we interviewed several different midwives and chose the wonderful Andrea Diamond, um, from Brooklyn home birth midwifery, uh, to, to sort of ferry us across into the land of home birthing and, um, and, and off we went.
0: That's pretty amazing. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. I want to hear if there's anything from your first birth that as you were planning your second, you thought, I might want to try this a bit different besides the location. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big one, but anything different. We'll be right back. So obviously the location was different, but was there anything else as things unfolded that if you could go back, I'm sure the first one was beautiful, but that you thought... I might want to just try something a little bit
1: different. Oh, for sure. Um, for sure. I mean, you know, I, my pregnancy with my first child was, was wonderful, right? Like there was, it felt kind of magical and, and exciting until about the last four weeks. <laughs> and somehow in that last four weeks, you know, I, I started to dilate on the early side, I think I was a centimeter and a half at like 36 and a half weeks or 37 weeks. And I started, my, my cervix was starting to efface. I was, and so Dr. Incredible, who did deliver my first child as well, was like, Oh, well you may, this may happen on the early side. I had been as a child, a baby almost six weeks early. Um, and my mother, you know, um, my, my mother, both of my mother's children, myself and my brother were on the early side. And so I was like, Oh, baby's going to be early. Baby's going to be early. Wow. I better get ready. Baby's going to be early. And then the baby wasn't not, it was not early. <laughs> um, and, Isn't that
0: the worst when you and, think that it's yeah, going to be early and then you're just kind of like it's not. waiting. But
1: what started to happen was even though it wasn't late, I started to feel like the baby was late. So at 38 weeks, I was like, why is baby not, the baby's late. It's late. It should have been, it should be here now. And so I started to feel really anxious. Why isn't the baby here? What's going on? What, what happened? Why is, where's, where's my baby? And, um, and that combined with the fact that at the time my husband was traveling a lot. He runs this theater company out in Sag Harbor and my first child was born at the end of June. So, um, he was, To all intents and purposes, out on the end of Long Island, several hours away by car for the last five weeks of the pregnancy. And so I had a revolving door. My mother was staying with me. My girlfriends were staying with me. Everybody was staying with me in case I went into labor in the middle of the night. And so between that anxiety of like, I hope Scott doesn't miss the birth of the baby and why am I, why am I late for this baby? Why is this baby so late? Even though the baby was not remotely late, I felt really nervous. And, um, and so was like doing all the stuff to like get the baby to come a couple of weeks early. I was eating five dates a day and going to reflexologists and, and I had an acupuncture appointment and, and with a wonderful acupuncturist and one of the points in, in the acupuncture, actually she, the, the baby kind of like floated up, uh, and repositioned herself and um went from optimal fetal position to um, posterior. She flipped mm-hmm. around. And everybody sort of thinks that the, the umbilical cord must have just gotten into a tricky spot because I could not get her to turn back. And so when I went into labor with my first child, I went into gnarly 36-hour back labor. And it was really the result of my remarkable doula, Chantal Traub and Dr. Incredible and the support of my spouse that I did ultimately have a vaginal birth. And, um, and my daughter did turn at the very last moment she turned and and came out, not sunny side up. Um, but in the second pregnancy, I really wanted to, um, take a hard look at my anxiety and why it was that I felt like I needed to rush through the last weeks of the pregnancy. Um, and so, uh, particularly in those final weeks, I actually did, um, an hour of something called Havening with my midwife to kind of retrain the neuro pathways around my birth experience, which sounds really woo woo, but I have to tell you was really remarkable. <laughs> it was really an incredible thing. Um, and, um, And I did a lot of thinking about what it was that, that sort of put me in the mindset that, that there was some kind of timeline that I could control, right? That no baby is ever late. Babies always come on time, whether they're, whether they're quote unquote before the due date, at the due date, or after it. There is no such thing as a late baby. And so, it took me some real time to sit with that concept and really internalize it. And then, of course, my second child came a week early. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> came a week before the due date. Um, but um, but that was really, that was the big, big change for me. Um, and I think if there were anything else, probably the the only other thing was that I was just a little bit more relaxed. I was really, um, kind of, you know, feel forgive the expression a hard ass with myself about like, okay, I will, I'm not going to have any caffeine. There'll be no caffeine for the entire pregnancy. And there, no, there definitely was caffeine in the second pregnancy. Um, there, I was one cup of tea every morning was how I managed not to feel just a crippling level of exhaustion. Um, and, you know, listen, any pregnancy when there's already a child running around is going to feel categorically different, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, there just isn't, there isn't the same kind of space. It's a joyful difference. It's a remarkable thing to have a child watch your body change and to be a participant in the welcoming of a sibling. That's so cool. But it's a, there been, almost everything winds up being different.
0: So I'm, first of all, I can totally relate and, and thank you for sharing that because I think like you said, a second pregnancy, it's just not the same. The way I was describing it is to a friend is the first one can feel, I don't know if precious is the right word, but I feel like in the family, just my husband and I at the time, it was kind of like, oh, this goddess, like in the the belly is forming. There was a lot of attention to Everything and a lot of celebration to everything. Oh and, yeah. And I was reading my baby center emails. It's the size of an avocado, it's a squash, it's oh. a you know what I mean? It's a <laughs> oh, zucchini. Totally. And oh, yeah. and then the second time and this is not to diminish the love of my second child, but so people would be like, How far are you? I'm like somewhere in the third or fourth month? And because my focus was on the first, who was two-ish at the time, and just keeping him alive and well like keeping our brains. So it was a very different focus. My husband always says the first child gets a lot of attention and the second child gets the right amount of attention. And I'm like, yes. there, I think there's some truth to that.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's my mother actually said recently, she was like, Oh, if only a first time parent could know how much easier their life could be. <laughs> Like, because yeah. her, you're like, oh, I can. Can I put him down? Can I do this? Can I ah? ah. And the second one, it's like, well, the, okay, it seems okay over there. I've got to deal with this, you know. I've and got it's to
0: not to diminish the no. the wonder and splendor of a first no. pregnancy, but not it definitely made me realize, um, you know. And we loved every minute of it. I think that, like you said, it could have been easier had we. Had a little hindsight, but you don't, know, because that's the path it is. You know, you you only know what exactly. you know. So let's dive exactly. into your birth story.
1: Yeah. So the the birth was it was a really special birth. Um, You know, I um, I woke up at about five thirty in the morning um, on the twelfth of April and was having very mild contractions about every twenty minutes, and. You know, I, my body tend with both pregnancies, it warmed up for a long time. So the occasional, the occasional contraction or surge was not unusual for me, but them coming every 20 minutes was a signal to me that we might be at the beginning of something. Um, my first child came right the day before her due date. And so we were all kind of assuming that sometime in the week before or the week after sometime in that two week window would be the most likely scenario. And, um, so I got up and, you know, was got, got my child ready for school. She was in, she's in pre-K this year and, um, was kind of in the middle of, of getting everybody off for the day when, you know, they kind of increased slightly. And so as, um, as, uh, as I, um, was walking her to school, they came more like 15 minutes apart. And I had to stop, I think twice as we walked and put my hand on the scaffolding and kind of close my eyes. And I was actually really glad that my daughter was there because she, she kind of stood there and looked at me and said, you know, mommy, are you okay? And I was able to say to her, yeah, this is normal. This is okay. Um, this is just what's supposed to happen. And I, we, we had a whole plan for what we were calling baby day. And I said, so this might be baby day. And, um, I dropped her off at school and I said, you know, if, if mom Mop, which is what she calls my mother, her grandmother, if Mop is here at pickup time, then you'll know it's baby day. And I left. And by the time I got home, my contractions were about every 12 minutes apart. So I called my midwife and I called, uh, my doula, I called Andrea and I called Chantal and I kind of updated them on what was happening. And, um, And, uh, and then, uh, Chantal texted with Dr. Incredible or no, then I texted with Dr. Incredible as well. And everybody was kind of just on alert that this was potentially happening. And I spoke to my mom uh, and said, you know, "Eh, it may or may not happen today, but at some point in the next 48 hours, I would say it's probable. And she said, I'm getting in the car. Um, cause she lived about three hours, she lives about three hours away and, uh, and everything kind of continued with a relatively slow sort of, but, but steady pickup, the the contractions became more intense. And right around the early afternoon, it started to really kind of begin to build ahead of steam and uh, move into active labor. And so, uh, my doula arrived, um, the, uh, or my midwife arrived, um, and, uh, and Dr. Incredible also arrived. And, um, and, um, and it was a fascinating thing right? To think about the ways that these labors are different. In the first labor, um, with my daughter, I had a lot of nausea and vomiting. I was, it was very hard. My dilation was very slow. It stalled a few times. I had to be manually dilated three times. Um, my water was broken on my own, on, you know, for me, uh, didn't break on its own. There was just, it was sort of like, it was actual labor. It felt like physical labor to, to bring the baby, all the way into the world. And this felt like it was intense. It was not, um, it it wasn't like I kind of like did the, you know, the, the polka around my living room, but it, I could feel in my body, the places where my labor would kind of progress. And I could feel like, Oh, this is where I got nauseous last time. Cause I would feel a little tiny wave of nausea and like, but then I wouldn't throw up. My body kind of knew what to do. Um, and, um, and you could see apparently Dr. Incredible said a couple of times, she was like, it's kind of amazing. You can really see the baby descending because my belly tends to be like, I look like a torpedo. It just sticks out the front. Um, and, um, both pregnancies were, were similarly carried that way. And so you could see the baby kind of moving down. Um, and, and he was also, as opposed to the first labor in optimal position, he was just beautifully positioned to come on out. So he was sliding right down and, um, right around, I would say, I think it was like five o'clock. I went four ish five o'clock. I went into really active labor and, um, and then I think it was, I think it was about seven 15 or so when I got into the pool, cause I got into, um, I had a water birth. So I got into the birth pool, which my husband very graciously was like, you know, MacGyver, he kind of like ran around attaching the hose to the thing. And the, you know, putting a tarp down over our bedroom rug and inflating the thing. And, and so there, I was just sort of surrounded by women with like my sweet husband running around, you know, like the chicken with his head cut off in the other room. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, Got into the water around 7.15. And at that point, things got very, very intense. It sort of moved very quickly into transition, into the pushing, pushing part of labor. And, um, and just remember being in this pool, right? And the, so of Dr. Incredible there, my doula, Chantal, um, uh, Andrea, the midwife, and she had two assistants. She had, uh, her birthing assistant and she had a trainee and they, so I was surrounded by women and every time there would be a really strong surge, there would be like this chorus of voices saying like, breathe baby, breathe. It became this like heartbeat and almost like a meditation of them, like helping me breathe the baby out. And, um, you know, uh, at one point, you know, you sort of, Sort of like the time sort of loses all meaning, right? And could sort of feel Chantal in my ear, kind of telling me to breathe and to drop the, to drop the tone of my voice, right? Because in, in distress, the voice tends to want to go high like this. And she was just helping me, kind of open my throat, as you so wonderfully say, open throat, <laughs> open vagina, right? She was like, "Get that throat open, open your throat," with a low because I'm like, "Oh, yeah. I love hearing yeah. that because there's such truth to it. <laughs> it's so true, it's so true." And they were all like, "Drop your voice in octave, just drop your voice down, drop your voice down," and um, and so my voice kind of helped. I think the the openness of the throat helped the vagina sort of like do its job. <laughs> um. And, um, and my, my husband at that time sort of had, I didn't know whose hands they were. I saw in pictures afterward, they were his, um, had his hands sort of on my upper back and, and then down in my, in my lumbar spine, kind of helping to ease my body. And, um, and, uh, at, after about 15 minutes of pushing, um, sweet little Simon slid out, uh, with his membrane still intact. That's amazing. And, uh, and, uh, they, they sort of, they split as he exited, they, he came out, it looked like he was wearing a yarmulke. He had like <laughs> membranes all over his head. <laughs> Welcome to the tribe. <laughs> okay, really. Um, and, um, he, he kind of slipped out and because the membranes hadn't broken when they, when they broke a whole bunch of fluid came out as well. So the water in the tub, it was like the river turned to blood. It was really like in the, in the video of the birth, you can see like the water goes from clear to bright red as the baby is born. And, um, he was scooped up and out and just placed on my chest where we stayed for a few minutes. Um, and then we moved over to, um, over to the bed, um, where they just, you know, delivered the placenta and kind of, Um, he kind of did, it wasn't a full on breast crawl, but he kind of like mooshed his little mouth around. He motorboated me for a little while (laughs) until he found the nipple and, um, and, um, and latched on really right away, which was wonderful. Um, and, um, and I, cause he was a little guy. So I was glad to see him, glad to see him ready to nurse so fast. And, um, and then you know that one of the one of the really beautiful things about the kind of the privilege of a home birth, right, was that I was then at home and everybody stayed for a few hours, right? To make sure the placenta was fully delivered, to make sure that I was doing well, there was no bleeding, you know, on and on. Just, you know, kind of the the birthing assistant made sure that I ate something, and I was well hydrated. And but then after about four hours, everybody went home. And one of the great things that, that I was told to do, right, was to, to make my bed so that I had clean sheets on the bottom and then a waterproof mattress pad over my clean sheets and then the sheets I'd been sleeping on. So when the birth began, the sheets I'd been sleeping on, you know, or the, the, the top sheet got taken off and it was just an old, contour sheet, like a tatty old contour sheet underneath. And then, so once it's, you know, some fluids, things got on that sheet, then you kind of fold up the, um, the waterproof pad and the, uh, a special kind of vinyl padding and the old bottom sheet. And you have fresh sheets waiting for you Mm -hmm. to crawl into bed. Um, so I was able to just kind of like slide my way into bed with the new baby and with my husband and have our first night together in our own home. Um, and then of course there is a series of postpartum visits with the, with our, with the midwife in person and on zoom and in person again, to just make sure that the healing process is, um, what, what it wants to be. Um, and, um, you know, my husband actually described it. He was, you know, it was really, he said, as a man, I felt it was a profound thing to get to watch it. Because I was really, it was like really being inside the proverbial red tent. I got to watch this kind of magical, this sort of everyday magic of birth with everybody in the room holding space for this new life. And, and it really did feel like, you know, it's, it's like the best kind of, of ordinary magic where you just can feel in a room. It's, it's not dissimilar to what happens in a theater, frankly, when you can just feel everyone holding the same story. Oh,
0: I love the everyday magic because it is something that happens. I can't even wrap my head around, like, I don't even know the statistic. How many times a day does a baby get born? So it's so, it's an ordinary occurrence, but there is a, there is something magic to it. The fact that the whole situation kind of is like, you know, like, Like you said, like once the baby's in the body, we just stand back and watch the process. You know, we do the best we can for ourselves. And then once the labor starts, depending on how managed it is, it kind of does its thing. And then the baby's born. It's just, there is something that has the potential to be really magical. And it was also, it's also beautiful that he was able to be witness to that and the support that you received. and. And I think it's Penny Simpkins that talks about, it's, it's how someone remembers being served in a sense. I'm not using the words correctly, but. You, the people, it sounds like it was, um, you know, let's, let's not sugarcoat it. If your voice was up high, there was probably, a, you know, some sensation we can call it. Um, oh, oh <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so let's, you know, it's not going to, I'm not going to pretend it was like, oh, the baby just kind of fell out. So it sounds no. like, and please tell me, I'm, the, what I'm hearing is there was definitely a strong sensation, but you had the support, the respect, the space to work through it and, yeah. And that's where that magic came. It's from how the team, and I call it, you've heard me say it circles the wagons around you yeah. to yeah. hold that space for you to go through whatever it is you have to go through. Yeah, And that is how that magic can happen.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the sensation is very strong, right? It, at least for me. And I, I mean, it's, I, I always, I feel like, you know, people have different ways of approaching that sensation, but I don't feel like pain is a dirty word. Like it hurts. It hurts. Um, but it's not, it, it there's a, there's, a, there are different kinds of pain, right? Like right. there's, you know, if we think about being in yoga practice, right. There's sort of like the, the sensation that sometimes feels like a certain kind of pain when you're opening up a muscle. And then there's the pain of tearing a muscle. And those are not, that's not the same kind of pain, right? Right. Like it's not categorically different. One is a very positive form of pain. And one, it has, means that something has gone awry, right? right? Something has been pushed too hard. Right. So I use pain in a very particular way, right? Like in this case, I it's it's I can't remember who it was on one of your other podcasts the, the other episodes that was so good that talked about pain with a purpose right yes, like yes 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 it's 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 like yes it hurts it's really painful and the, we had the first real contraction at least for me in the second pregnancy and I was like oh yeah that's right this sucks <laughs> um, you know like oh that's this hurts but at the same time the body is doing something that is it, 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 that is natural, right it the body is doing something that is is um it is doing what it is supposed to do. it's doing what it is designed to do and that's and you know,
0: part of that that we put the situation able to unfold and and many times it can unfold without a lot of help yeah. sometimes it can't, but yeah. sometimes it's been yeah. being witness to the body just taking charge.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's the thing, right? Like I had a really lucky, who knows? I I had a particular birth experience in which I was allowed to just let it happen, right? Like that's kind of the way that one went. But I feel like with my daughter, with the first pregnancy, that isn't how it went, right? There were a lot of interventions and there was a lot of, like, we all had to work. The wagons had to circle in a different way. And that experience is no less profound for me than the birth of my son, right? It just because, you know, with, with Esme at hour 32, I wound up with an epidural because I couldn't, I just wasn't dilating and we had to move to labor and delivery and on and on. But there's something extraordinary about the fact that I was able to really experience with, with deep clarity you know, I, I was, I like, like put my hand down and felt her head as it emerged. I had, it was like time stood still when she was being born. And because in some ways there wasn't sensation that I was processing and managing and dealing with. Whereas the second time there was so much sensation. I think the the midwife, somebody asked me, would you like to feel the baby's head? And I think I said something like, I felt the first one just about get <laughs> out. <laughs>
0: So so, I love that. Um, And I want to thank you though for saying, because I will admit I get skittish about saying pain because why there's so many reasons. I feel like it has this bad rap. And at the same time as someone who has birthed, yeah, I would say it was painful, but you're right. Let's honor that you can have great pain without it necessarily being a traumatic experience, you can also have a traumatic experience without a lot of pain. So I guess I appreciate your bravery. And (laughs) and I just want (laughs) to, from one parent to another, the words, and I don't know if I've actually ever said this on on a podcast, but as my, our our births are similar. My first one was epically long. My second was very quick. And she actually, as I was, as I was about to, I wasn't even pushing, but all of a sudden I said, I think something's coming out. And in my head I said... (laughs) But it doesn't hurt. And what it was, it was the bag of water hadn't broken yet. Oh, so yeah. the four bag came out. And then within moments, the bag broke and she came out. But literally the first words I said as she came out was, thank God you're out. I'm never doing that again.
1: Oh, yeah. Doesn't I mean yeah. I think I said exactly the same thing. <laughs> I will never do this again. <laughs> <Yes>. And... <laughs> And it didn't mean that. And it
0: was a remarkable experience to have two very different births. So let's celebrate that you can be in pain without it being a suffering traumatic experience and you can suffer and be traumatized without pain. So let's be That's okay it. that pain is, pain does not mean something's bad. It could just mean, sometimes it does. Let's face <laughs> it. Sometimes it does, but yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we need to
1: um demonize it. So Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like pain is sort of, I, I categorize this kind of pain with a certain kind of grief. It's not a bad thing. It's just a hard thing. You know, it's sort of like, oh, pain is not easy. It's not, it's not an easy thing to experience, but that, but hard doesn't mean bad. It doesn't kind of like mean
0: parenthood. I mean, we won't, we won't yeah. open that can of worms, oh, but isn't parenthood yeah. sometimes painful yeah. and hard?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's the hardest. It is the hardest. I mean, truly it, it, it'll teach you in my experience. It has taught me in a way that nothing else could about myself, about life, about who my child needs me to be for them about what I still carry from my own childhood. I mean, my gosh. It's, it's a mirror. It's a mirror to yourself.
0: Yeah. All right. We're yeah. not going to go down that can of worms right yeah. now. But yeah. Oh my gosh. This was beautiful. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. I just want to hear a few moments of your postpartum and then one tip or piece of advice you'd like to share with newer expectant parents. we will be right back. Okay. We're back. All right. So just a few words about how postpartum has been.
1: Postpartum was very peaceful. You know, it's as with the pregnancy and the birth postpartum with a second child is very different than postpartum with the first, because you are, you are now the the parent of two and the, the first child doesn't stop needing you just because you've had a baby. Um, so it, it was a challenge for me, um, and, and remains a challenge to be honest. Um, and something that I am really learning to navigate how to, um, how to, how to meet the needs of both of my children while still providing myself with some self-care, right. And some of the things that I need for myself, like, you know, sleep or a shower, um, or, or let's like be grand, you know, a haircut or a yoga practice, right. Um, that the, that those things are very easy. It's easy for those things to fall by the wayside in the favor of trying to be some kind of super mom. Um, so you know, my postpartum kind of psychologically was really filled with that balancing act and kind of thinking a lot about how do I, who, how, how do I step into this role, which really feels different to me as the mother of two people, as opposed to one. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and from a physical perspective, you know, um, it's interesting, right? I, I, I've joked that the, the second pregnancy, was shorter and harder than the first, um, and the, and the second birth was shorter and easier than the first and postpartum was, was sort of no different, right? It, it, my body kind of knew what had happened. And, um, and I was very lucky not to have any tearing, um, uh, either time actually. So I, I had a relatively easy repair, um, sort of to the, to the perineum, to the, to the sort of whole the vaginal opening and the the vaginal canal. But I think, you know, what I did discover, um, there was a small piece of retained placenta that somehow had not been caught. Um, so I did start to feel quite ill about six days into my postpartum, but thankfully that passed on its own, um, before, before anything, uh, anything bad occurred. Um, so there was a sort of a weird day around the first, the end of the first week, um, when that, that happened. But other than that, um, which thankfully was kind of also a non-event, that's, it was, it was good. Yeah. It was. No, was gonna I, say,
0: that's, that's crazy. I did not know there was some retained placenta. How did they figure that out? Uh, I passed it.
1: Oh, um, yeah. Um. It was. I. I. Um. I didn't know. I. I. This is perhaps a little bit graphic, but I. It, you know. You know a big so, cloth. Um. It was. A, it was. A. It was like. It was a, not a small amount of tissue. Um. And it. It actually sort of seemed like like almost like a tampon string when I went to the bathroom and I sort of gave it a little tug, and and out it came and I went that's not good. I'm glad that's not in there anymore. And, um, frankly took a picture on my phone and sent it to my midwife and to Dr. Incredible and was like, guys, anyone want to weigh in on this? Um, and, uh, and it, it looked like, you know, they were like, oh, yep, that's, that's a little bit of retained membranes. Um, you know, and we sort of talked, I talked with both of them at some length and we kind of continued to monitor it and, and, it, resolved and there was no, there was nothing further and on we went. And from there, actually the postpartum was quite easy. Um, but, um, but that was, that was how we figured it out. I wasn't feeling great, but, um, but it just, it, it passed on its own. That's fortunate. Um, That's very fortunate. It was very fortunate. I know several people for whom that was not the case. Um, so, um, and then, yeah, it was, it was a relatively simple postpartum, process. And I think, you know, again, so much of postpartum for me anyway, outside of that first week to 10 days where you're kind of, your organs are repositioning and you feel like, Oh, my pelvic floor is somewhere on Broadway, 10 (laughs) blocks from my house, you know? Um, but, um, that, that so much of postpartum is psychological and about like understanding, you know, the, the sort of like the, that you've sort of passed through a doorway and, and in a really beautiful way, right? It's Britta Bushnell's thing about the, you know, the, the, the sort of myth that like you pass through this doorway and who you are is not quite who you were. And that's a very dimensional, very full experience. And, um, and I, I sort of feel like the, the body needs its time to repair as, as much to give the mind a chance to catch up as anything else, you know, you have to take this quiet time because you have to catch up with yourself. Everything has to catch up with you.
0: I love that you mentioned Britta Bushnell. I, you know how I feel about the story of Anana, and how yeah. we, <laughs> I deeply, like every time I read it or even when I discuss it in in postnatal yoga, I get so moved. And so I'll make sure that we link to that. Thank you for bringing that up. So what is one tip or piece of advice you would like to offer new or expectant parents?
1: Oh, gosh. I knew you were going to ask me this and I'm no more prepared than I would be if I hadn't known. Um, I think, um, I think that, you know, the best piece of advice that I could possibly offer, right. It's sort of like, it's like a two pronged piece of advice. One is, you know, your, you trust in your body, right. Trust, trust in the story that it is telling, as it creates and then brings forward this new life. Cause it is a story, right? The body is telling a story of birth and, and it knows just what to do. And even if there are complications, that's not wrong. It knows just what to do. Um, and alongside of that, because the body is telling the story, the mind doesn't really get to. Mm. And so the more we can let go positive, negative, indifferent, right? uh, of the stories that we tell about how the birth is going to be, how the pregnancy is going to be, whether it's easy, hard, big baby, small baby, male baby, female baby. What, what is, what, who, who the baby, what they're going to like, all of the things, all the stories we spin while we're growing this life, the more, the more those plates can slow down and we can just let the body tell the story. The, the more peaceful the time is during pregnancy, And, and the more you get to discover, right, you get to discover who you've got and you get to discover what your body is actually doing and sort of get out of the future of it and into the present moment of it.
0: Oh my goodness. That is beautiful. Oh, Julie, I have so enjoyed this conversation and I'm super excited that you'll be teaching at PYC. <laughs> me too. I'm so Yay. excited about it. I'm so, so excited. Yay. So let me see if I remember. Gosh, we have been working on a sketch. It's like casting a 300,000 play, <laughs> a 300 person play. So if I remember correctly, starting in August, you'll be doing The Thursday 10 a.m. live stream. And then I believe starting sometime in September after the holiday, you'll be doing the Monday hybrid, which I just did my first one yesterday. So we can talk about that. Um, so this is, it's, it's a, it's a task for a multitasker, which is what (laughs) I realized and I think you can do it. So you'll be in the studio while live streaming it. So that will be on Monday, 10 a.m. I am beyond excited to have you join the teachers, the teaching staff and the teaching community. So I'm super excited. So those that might be listening, if you're like, I want to work with this lady, you can (laughs) come to class. (laughs) Yay! Well, thank you for your time and for your story.
1: Thank you so much. I've been so happy to be with you. I'm always, always, it's always such a joy to be in your company for the best.
0: This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.